Good morning. You're listening to the Mutual Audio Network. The following audio drama is rated G Wiz, which means it's perfectly safe for folks and families of all ages to enjoy with Cheese Wiz. The following audio drama is a production of 63 Audio and the Narada Radio Company, a proud member of the all new Mutual Audio Network. Taken from the pages of magazines your grandfather used to hide from your grandmother, this is Pulpery Theater, starring the Narada Radio Company. This is a tale of the untamed frontier, of winters that are six months long, of a land where the warmest day of that winter might be the coldest day of your entire year. A land where men and women are either strong enough to survive or get stocked up like so much cordwood until the spring thaw. Our tale for tonight, The Better Man, was written by Harold DiPolo, and it appeared in the July 1932 issue of Thrilling Adventures Magazine. If you've been with us for our earlier episodes of Pulpery Theater, you'll know that we are doing our best to bring you a wide variety of stories for your listening pleasure. So far, we've presented dramas from the science fiction, crime, and western genres, entered the realm of the supernatural, told you a tale of the average Joe, and treated you to a taste of the macabre. In episodes to come, we hope to bring you such fields as war stories, romance, sports, and the jungle. But let's get started on our story for tonight. Our storyteller is the old-timer. He has no other name because he's so old he's forgotten it. He's been everywhere, he's done and seen everything, and he's lived to tell about it. Howdy, Mr. Old-timer. Are you ready to tell us your story? Why, sure, daughter. But did you get me that thing I asked for? You know, to wet my whistle like? Look there, next to your left elbow, Mr. Oldtimer, and help yourself. Ah, why, thank you, daughter. Storytelling is thirsty work. (coughs) Ah, smooth. Now, where was I? You are about to start telling us a story about... Oh, yeah, that's right. Let's go up to the Yukon, almost a century ago. Not much has changed since then. Winter holds the Yukon in a tight, icy fist. The sap don't run in the willows. Valley, stream, and mountain lay like something dead in the grip of the ice. And then it changes. Slowly the sun begins to swing north and the ice begins to break up and the northbound boats start carrying passengers and freight again. 
On this particular day I'm talking about, a boat pulls up and off gets this chichaco. That's what the Chinooks call a newcomer. And a stranger looking feller nobody in this town ever did see. Sort of frail he was, and carrying a hefty grip in each hand, and looking for all the world like he couldn't make it all the way down the gangplank with the weight of him. Several of the down and outers jumped up hopefully. You think we ought to help that guy? Let's go see if we'll get a drink out of him. But the lad smiled pleasantly and shook his head no. Aww. This was Chet Rand. And when you hear this story, you'll say there never was a less likely candidate to defend a sled dog he'd never laid eyes on before. Chet Rand dropped his bags and sucked in a deep draft of air. <sighs> it was just as he stooped to pick up his bags that the thing happened. Over where freight was being loaded, a big man with a barreled chest was stacking two big boxes atop a sled that had a single husky harness to it. That man was George Lafitte, but everybody called him Bully. You'll see why in a second. Now, even though it was obvious that this sled dog was powerful, the load on that sled was too much for him. Though he strained mightily, the steel runners cut deeper into the snow and sank into the ground. <laughs> Lafitte. Bully, that dog can't pull such a load. <laughs> Why don't you pull it and let the dog ride? <laughs> <laughs> she moved, Baga. When I say she go, she go. Allons, allons, mon brave. Uh. I never did see a gamer dog than that husky, and the dog didn't break his stand. He threw every ounce of strength into his effort to move that sled. But it just couldn't be done. Everybody seemed to realize that. Everybody, that is, but Bully Lafitte. When I said go, she go. Mm. Ease up on that dog, Bully. You're going too far. Why, that last slash cut into his belly. You filthy hound. All the bystanders were shocked in the silence when Chet Rand shouted those words. The circle of onlookers parted instinctively when this newcomer broke through and faced the feet. Damn you! Can't you see that you've been asking the impossible of that dog? Can't you see the poor beggar can't do it? Y you... you swine! What? What? You mean those words for la vie? Pour moi? Bully Lafitte was a man of the North Country, and in the North Country, as a rule, you don't interfere between a man and his dogs, unless the thing has gone pretty far. And more particularly, you don't interfere with Bully Lafitte under any circumstances. It came home to him now that this stranger, this puny Chichaco, was actually calling him names. Oh, there. 
Swine, eh? I show you. Lafitte charged at Chet Rand like a bull what seemed the red flag, both arms flailing. Chet easily sidestepped Lafitte and laid his left fist across the bully's jaw. The Canuck barely slowed down. He shook off the impact of Chet's punch like he would a skeeter, then charged again. Ah! Many a man would have tried to step away from the Russian by Lafitte, but Chet moved in with the look of a battler. What realizes his main gun has failed and he might well get another shot in before he's beaten down himself. Once again, the left fist of the Chichaco struck the big jawbone of the Canuck, while the boy's right fist drove into the pit of Bully's belly. <laughs> I fix you. Chet's attempt at the old one-two weren't as successful as he'd hoped. Bully raised his hammer of a right fist and caught Chet behind the ear before the boy could duck. Chet flew up in the air like a mechanical jumping jack and landed out cold in a pile of snow. Hound, eh? Swan, eh? You like to taste my leather, Chachaco? <laughs> Lafitte now stood over Chet's unconscious form, a light of triumph in his eyes. He lifted his right foot, and as he did, a protest was raised by two factions. No bootin', Lafitte. He call me hound. He call me swine. He ask for it square. Mayhap he's right. And you've beat him in a fair fight, haven't ye? The first faction was the husky that had been whipped by Lafitte and saved by Chet Rand. The second one was Sally Donovan O'Brien, who everybody called Square Deal or just plain Square. Square Deal O'Brien was a flame-haired Irish widow woman who had lived in this town for 20 years and had built up a good business with the saloon and general store. She had a temper as hot as Bully Lafitte's, but she tended to side with the angels over the devils and she didn't like Lafitte's method of fighting. Oh, well, oh, well, if he's friend of you, Square, well, I... He's no friend, Lafitte. He's a man beaten who fought fair, and I'll see that he gets a clean deal himself. Atta girl, Square! You better listen to Mama, boy! <laughs> oh, well... Somebody in the crowd rubbed Chet Rand with snow, and he came too presently. He propped himself up into a sitting position, then got up on his pins with a pained face. He looked over at the husky he had defended, and in the clear, wide-eyed gaze of the dog, Chet Rand saw understanding and gratitude. Care to sell that dog, mister? Ha, 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 I sell anything I got, monsieur, anything. But to you, mon ami, I give this dog, oui, that's what I do. I give him when you prove, monsieur, that you are better a man than Georges Lafitte. C'est bien? <laughs> the Frenchman lifted his boot a second time. But this time he let it loose on the two heavy crates stacked atop his sled. Uh. 
they tumbled off into the snow, and Lafitte ordered his husky to move on, but this time without using the lash. Mosh! Mosh, you dog! The bystanders watched Lafitte go, then crowded around the Chichaco. Although Chet had taken a jolt that would give him pain in every bone in his head for several days, the fact that he had come to the aid of the dog did him no harm in the eyes of the townsfolk. You all right, young feller? Hey, don't tug on him too hard. Look at the goose egg on that boy's head. Why, listen, son, you done a good thing there. And next time I see Bully Lafitte, I'll tell him to his French face. Next time I see him mistreating a husky, he'll know what it's like to feel what that dog felt. Break it up, friends. Break it up. This young'un needs some peace and quiet. Howdy, son. The name's O'Brien. Sally Donovan O'Brien. But you can call me Square. I'm pleased to meet you, Mrs. O'Brien. These gentlemen were telling me about how you prevented Mr. Lafitte from injuring me further. I'm grateful, ma'am. Well, ain't you got a pretty way of talking. Don't mention it, son. Bully Lafitte ain't precisely a popular customer in these parts. I would have done the same for anybody. Say, what's your name, Chichaco? I'm Chester Rand from Illinois. My friends call me Chet. I'd be pleased if you... Well, put her there, Chet. Folks, let's bring Chet over to the Irish Rose. Get some brandy into him. He's had a pretty rough welcome to our town, so let's do what we can to show him we ain't all bad. What say? Oh, hello, Rue. Chet, this pretty young thing is Rue Regret. She's a canary at the Irish Rose, my saloon. Monsieur Chet, you lean on me, s'il vous plaît? We get you warm, we get you fixed up, no? Clear a path, friends. I'm mighty pleased to meet you, Miss Regret. My... This town is full of surprises, isn't it? You're listening to the Narada Radio Company's Polpourri Theater presentation of Harold DiPolo's exciting tale, The Better Man. We'll be back with Act 2 of our play in just a moment. Hello, friends. This is Seamus McWinkle, one of the members of the Narada Radio Company, back again to introduce our newest sponsor, Starsway Homestyle Cookies. Starsway wants to kin. Do you remember the cookies your grandma used to bake? You remember how big she made them? I mean the really big kind of cookie that fed you and four friends for a week. I'm talking about that really big gooey kind of cookie that stuck to the roof of your mouth and your ribs and your lungs. Well, we at Starsway remember your grandma, even though you're too old and stupid to do the same. And even though she's been dead for 40 years, you can still taste her cookies. Starshway, the big cookies with a 40-year-old taste. Also available, cookies that taste like your grandma. 
You remember him as part of your youth. His songs were always playing somewhere in the background, on the radio, on the record player, or as a favorite film theme. And now, those beloved songs are back again, all together in a brand new collection. The greatest hits of Zip Doodah, The Man in the Monkey Suit. Yes, we all fondly remember this brilliant musician, this stellar performer. Not only for his nimble fingers on the piano keyboard, not only for the way his soaring tenor voice thrilled audiences, but also for the fact that he did all of this while wearing a monkey suit. Was it a gorilla he was trying to portray or an orangutan? Nobody knows and nobody cares. To Zip Duda, only the music mattered. That and very good air conditioning. Who can forget such brilliant performances as this one from the 1960s TV show, The Sonny and Lenny Comedy Hour? My little darling. Or this one from the hit 1959 movie starring Duke McVishnu, I Was a Teenage Tuna Fish. These timeless performances and more are available now on the brand new CD collection, The Greatest Hits of Zip Doodah, The Man in the Monkey Suit, available in all fine stores. Get yours today. Welcome back to The Better Man, tonight's installment of Pulpery Theater, starring the Narada Radio Company. When we left off, Yukon newcomer Chet Ran, having had a violent run-in with French-Canadian prospector Bully Lafitte, was being escorted by the townsfolk to Square Deal O'Brien's saloon, The Irish Rose. Our storyteller, the old-timer, is just about ready to... Well, how are you feeling, Mr. Old-timer? Are you okay to continue your story? Aces, daughter. Aces. Let me just wet my whistle here. Ah. And now, let's see, where was I? Oh, yeah. Over at the Irish Rose Saloon, Chet Rand was soon feeling better from the brandy of Square Deal O'Brien and from the sweet-talking voice of Mademoiselle Rue Regret. Her French Shantuzzi. Word was going around about how Chet had stood up against Bully Lafitte, even though he'd lost the fight, and folks were coming from all around town to see this Chichaco and try to prepare him for the next time he saw Lafitte. Oh no, I don't see it. I don't carry a gun, and I won't. Listen, youngster. You should have given Lafitte a dose of lead. Man deserves it. Anytime he tries to kick another one when he's down for the count. That's not my way, sir. Listen, Chet. We're only concerned about how you protect yourself. A firearm of some kind is a natural deterrent against men like Bully Lafitte. 
You made yourself an enemy today, son, whether you like it or not. An enemy with a long memory, who don't forgive and won't be satisfied until he's got even with you. Square, do you see my hands? Um, sure, son. What about them? I'll have to rely on them alone. You see, I don't want to offend you or anyone else, Mrs. O'Brien, but I'm honestly against all killing. I can't help it. I'm just made that way, I suppose. If I carried a gun, it would be sure to bring on a meeting sooner or later, for he'd think I was arming myself with that purpose in view. Also, if I did have a weapon, and he drew, I'd probably do the same myself, and one of us would get it. No, I'll take my chances. Well, suit yourself, son. Trouble with Lafitte is, he's not a feller who comes out in the open. Don't forget. I won't. Thanks. Nothing seemed to happen in the near future, because Lafitte had stocked up heavily with supplies and had mushed on for a cabin he had on the Mackenzie. Chet rented a room that was upstairs from Squared O'Brien's saloon, and for a time just lazed about, taking much enjoyment from this new and different life in the Northland. And, of course, he was spending quite a bit of time with Mademoiselle Rue Regret, who had taken a shine to this young man from the first time she had laid eyes on him. Bravo. Bravo. That was so lovely, Mademoiselle Rue. Oui, you like it, Chet? I did not know you spoke Francais. <laughs> oh, I don't. But that doesn't matter. I was moved by the sound of your voice. Will you tell me what the words meant? Ah, oui. I shall try. The song, it was of a young man. He gave up his health, his happiness for his work. It is sad, no? I'll say. Why, that sounds so much like the life I was leading before I came here. You might have been singing about me and didn't even know it. Ramon, truly, Chet. What did you do? I worked as a scientist, a, a botanist, really. The study of plants? I found it fascinating. Every moment I had, I spent on my research, trying to achieve my life's ambition, an exhaustive book on the subject I loved. It ended up exhausting me. A complete emotional and physical breakdown that landed me in a sanitarium for seven months. Quel horror! Oh, Chet, how terrible! The doctors told me to get away, to go to some absolutely strange environment for a year or so, and forget all about my cherished hobby. So here I am. <laughs> <laughs> I've been here nearly six weeks, and if the doctors saw me now, they'd say I'm a perfect patient who obeys orders implicitly. Oui, Chet. You are perfect. Well, now that's not exactly what I meant. Say, Chet Rand. A plant didn't recognize you just now. Ain't seen you for a few weeks. Just look at you. Hell, son. I reckon in another couple of months, you can step in and plumb beat that canoe to a pulp. They tell me you've taken on the most 15 pounds they do. Yes, sir. Thank you, sir. 
Oh, it is what I say. You are perfect. <laughs> well, we all thought about a month or so later that this thing between the two men might actually be put to the test. When Lafitte came into town to take a fling at the roulette wheel at Square O'Brien's Irish Rose. Bullard left his string of dogs with half-breed John and walked across the street to the saloon. Chet, coming down the street a little while later, stopped when he recognized the husky he'd defended. And at the same time, the dog started up a joyful barking as he recognized his human champion. Well, look who's here. Hello, boy. I sure am glad to see you. Oh, good boy. <laughs> yeah. Hey. Oh. Hey. Oh, you're a good boy. But where's your master? Here I am. You think she's time for a try prove he's belong to you, monsieur? No, Lafitte. I don't think it's quite time. Sorry. See you, boy. It took a heap of effort for young Chet to say those words and to walk away from the Canuck, but he knew his own limitations and realized he wasn't yet in fettle. And them, what had overheard what was said, didn't feel as if the younger man had evaded the issue, but more like he deferred it, like a businessman. The next morning, Chet was eating breakfast with Rue Regret at a table in the Irish Rose when Squirrel O'Brien came over to see him. I noticed you've away with dogs, son. That big lead husky of Lafitte's is no kind of a gentle puppy with men, so it surprised me to see the affection he shows ye. Anyways, I mind me that my own string of dogs never take your presence amiss, and I was wondering if ye'd care to take them for a bit of a run. Tis Saturday and me busiest time, and I can't get away. Well, I don't think There's an that'll... old running mate of the late Mr. O'Brien at Spruce Valley. Thirty-odd miles, maybe, and he's needin' grub with a sick wife he can't leave. Would you like to do me the favor, Chet? Glad to. That is, if you think I can handle the dogs. I have no experience, but I've watched others do it. But, say... I don't want to be the cause of anything happening to you. Shush, shush, lad. I pride myself I can tell a man that has a way with dogs. And Square O'Brien was right. The moment he stepped behind that sled, Chet Rand acted like he'd been born to the job of handling the string of huskies. He seemed to be able to get the greatest amount of effort out of the dogs, with the least amount of work on his part. He learned to handle the long, rawhide whip like a master. It soon became like an art to him. He could send it curling out to crackle within a fraction of an inch of the lead dog's ear, but without touching the animal. Square O'Brien was so pleased with Chet's work on that first run that she soon convinced him to start running a regular freight and express run to and from McLean's Pass, where the prospectors were sure to pay him high for such a service. 
Most of them fellers are too busy hunting for gold to think of other pursuits, so you're bound to have very little competition. And twill be a favor to me. Them dogs are getting lazy. <laughs> you're a lifesaver every way to me, Mrs. O'Brien. I'll do it. Time went by, and winter wore on, and Chet kept busy with his freight business. And he not only had a way with the dogs, he also had a way with the ladies. Square O'Brien started liking him as if he was her own son, and Mademoiselle Rue regret. Well, after a time, there weren't room for no other man in her heart but Chet Rand. As for Chet, he never forgot about Boy Lafitte and knew that someday soon that things between them would come to a head, and he was almost wishing that it wouldn't be too far away. Powerful though the Canuck was, Chet felt he could now hold his own again him. He'd taken on more weight and knew he was in the best condition he'd ever been. <laughs> The chance to prove whether or not he was a better man than Bully Lafitte came before long. Toward the end of winter, it was, when the spring thaws were expected to begin any time, and the weather took it into its head to start playing pranks. Snow started falling, an ever-wise veteran in Square O'Brien Saloon soon predicted that it'd be one of the worst storms in years. Oh boy, look at it come down. I'm certainly glad I already did my run to Spruce Valley before it started falling. I'd hate to be outdoors on a night like tonight. You are not the only one, Sherry. I too am glad you are indoors, avec moi. <laughs> Heavy storms will always bring up memories of past storms. Well, I can remember the time we had that big old storm back in 1804. Yeah, that storm was big, all right. I remember I had to walk... And the Irish roses, sparrow, and roulette tables lay deserted that night, while every old sourdough in the place swapped lies with each other. ...to get from my house to the house next door. That was some storm. Yeah, well... Took me down to 18 days just to walk down the sidewalk from the front door. You old liar. You ain't told the truth. The yarns are flying back and forth at a rapid pace. Yet all the while, a real drama was making its way to them through the storm. Let me in! Let me in! Why, it's half-breed Jean. He's like to froze to death. Get him over to the fire. He's out there. About one mile. Mackenzie Trail. Do dog. Jean gone. Lost. Except the big one. Lafitte. He's almost gone. Lafitte. <sighs> He's passed out shore. Rue, bring brandy. What did he say, boys? Lafitte's out there, caught in the storm? <laughs> ain't anybody gonna speak up? I know Bully Lafitte ain't the most popular gent in these parts, but he's human like the rest of us. 
Hello, Jean. You just take it easy now. Easy, lad. Chet, what are you doing? Looks like it's up to me, Mrs. O'Brien. No, chérie. You don't owe that knuck You're nothing. You're going to risk your life for a man who wouldn't even If anybody's going, finger. I'm going. You can't stop me. No, I don't want help. Thanks. But, son... You'll understand, Mrs. O'Brien. I'll go get suited up. Ever eyeballing the Irish rose was on Chet Rand's back as he walked up the steps to his room over the saloon. And after he was out of sight, a dozen arguments broke out over who was going to accompany him. Squirrel O'Brien and a few of the wiser sourdoughs exchanged known glances. These offers to go were real tributes of friendship to Chet Rand. He was back in a moment, pulling a parka over his head and examining his snowshoes. Square, let me have a flask of brandy for when I find Lafitte. Sure, son. Rue, fill this up. Oui. Damn it, Chet. I ain't gonna let you make this trip alone. Thanks, Jim, but I've got to go alone. Oh, I'll make it. Trail along if I'm not back in four or five hours, if you feel like it. So long, everybody. Look, son. It was them two words of Square O'Brien's that made Jim the trapper and everyone else quit their arguments. You're listening to the Narada Radio Company's Pulpery Theater presentation of Harold DePolo's exciting tale, The Better Man. We'll be back with Act 3 of our play in just a moment. Hi, friends. This is Rinzi Korsetsoff, one of the members of the Narada Radio Company, and I've been asked to introduce our newest sponsor, Dr. Gumheel's Amazing Sausage Museum in beautiful, historic Bumperson, Wyoming. At long last, Dr. Gumheel has opened the doors of his family home in Bumperson to display to the waiting public the results of a lifelong fascination with pork products, the Amazing Sausage Museum. Stroll down the oak-paneled corridors of this fully restored 19th century Victorian mansion and view thousands upon thousands of samples of sausage collected over the course of several generations and passed down to the present Dr. Wrigley S. Gumheel, who has continued the strange yet fascinating hobby of his forebears. See actual samples of sausage served in the Theodore Roosevelt White House and other samples from as far back as the Ottoman Empire. Witness the lifelike diorama displaying the sausage-making methods of Neanderthal man. Thrill to the pre-recorded sounds of people eating links and patties in restaurants. Educate yourself and your family at the gorgeous full-color wall chart that depicts every single variety of sausage ever made. So come early and stay late at Dr. Gumheel's Amazing Sausage Museum in historic Bumperson, Wyoming. Open seven days a week, closed on all Jewish holidays, nose plugs available in the gift shop. Welcome back to The Better Man, tonight's installment of Pulpery Theater, starring the Narada Radio Company. When we left off, Chet Rand was just leaving the Irish Rose Saloon in a violent snowstorm to try to rescue his bitter enemy, Bully Lafitte. Our friend, the old-timer, is here to tell us more of the story. Go ahead, Mr. Old-timer. Thank you, daughter. 
This jug's getting low, so I guess I ought to wrap up my story pretty soon, huh? Ah. <laughs> well, I was telling you that Chet Rand set out to try and find that old Frenchman in the snow. He hinted that he'd be back in four or five hours' time. Well, now, to be exact, Chet made it back pretty near the four-hour mark, or just a trifle under it. He lurched into the Irish roads, with Bully Lafitte across his shoulders, and that big old husky he defended pulling on ahead of him, tied on to his belt with a hunk of broken harness. Chet heaved Lafitte up onto a rug in front of the fire and handed the brandy flask to his trapper pal, Jim. Pulling one of his big fur mittens off, Chet reached his hand down to the head of the dog, who was staring up at the man with admiration. I guess you're mine now, boy. I guess you're mine now. (coughs) Look you, Chet! Hey, all Bully's coming, too! <laughs> Why you look at me? Where is Lafitte? Huh? I go, I go down. My God, I go down somehow. I don't know. I, I don't know. This leg, she just, uh, she just get too weak for to stand. She hard going out there. One dog go down, no there. No there. Except my strong devil on the lead. I don't know. I don't, I don't, uh, Jean... What happened to Jean when all things go black for me? Your Jean came here for help. So? So? And then who bring me in? A better man than you, Lafitte. There is no better man than George Lafitte. No man have ever knocked me down. No man have ever used his gun so quick. With those boastful words, Bully Lafitte had worked his way to a standing position, and his hand, as he finished, went to the heavy revolver hanging low and a holster at his thigh. He grinned in a scornful way at Chet, as if inviting him to argue. But it was Squirrel Brian who answered, and her voice was calm as her own hand hovered cautiously over the little pistol in her coat pocket. He's proven himself a better man in every way, Lafitte. And I remind you what she said that day on the wharf last spring. And I claim the dog now. You keeled over, and I didn't. I'd just come in from a run up to Spruce Valley, but I still had enough left to finish your own trip for you, with you on my back. (laughs) So... So, she's put up John for to get husky, no? By God, George Lafitte don't stand for those tricky, don't? Boy, why don't you be man? All you talk about don't believe in gun, don't believe in earth, no there human being. All that is bluff. I'm sick. Me, of all your talk. When I say I give you dog, when you prove better man, I mean... Just a minute, Lafitte. Chet Rand stood a dozen paces away from Bully Lafitte and raised a hand that made everyone go quiet. His voice was calm, but the muscles of his face were taut, and in his other hand the lash of the coiled rawhide whip he held 
was nervously tapping against the high top of his leather boot. So you want a showdown, do you? Well, you'll get it, by God. Draw! Draw, you filthy hound! What? What? I said draw. Draw, you swine! I'm armed, and I'm ready for you. Ah! Ha ha! Lafitte's right arm pitched down toward his thigh, but even as his fingers went to grip the blue steel butt of his weapon. Like a striking snake, that rawhide lash in Chet's right hand flew across the room and bit into Lafitte's wrist. That was your chance, Lafitte, and I beat you to it. And I'm telling you again, I'm the better man. Better man, eh? Bagar, not while I got one more hand. Ah! Ooh, ooh, ooh. No, no, get off me, you dog! No, talk him off me! You gotta talk that dog off me! Talk him off me there! Break! Break away there! That's got you now, boy. You don't want to bite him. You might catch something. (laughs) Now, Lafitte, I'll just relieve you of this. And get up. Get on your feet. The dog's quieted. Don't worry. All right, like I told you before, Lafitte, Chet's proved himself a better man. And also, like I told you before, I remember what she said about the husky that day on the wharf. Now I'm taking it upon myself to be the judge, and tis to Chet that I'm fair and square awarding the dog. She's right. Square deal is right. Well, I don't like this. And another thing. Out of this place with ye. And on my word of honor, which ain't never been broken in this town, bully George Lafitte, I'm telling ye that if I ever do see ye trailing into this camp, it's meself that'll shoot ye down like the dog ye are. Now shoot! We'll be back to wrap things up with our story from the old-timer, right after this word. You're listening to Polpourri Theater, starring the Narada Radio Company. Hi, kids. This is Phil Boyd Studge. Back again to tell you about Tinky Winkles, the magic breakfast treat. Tinky Winkles ain't just your ordinary old cold cereal that you pour milk on and it turns to mush in your bowl. Heck no. Tinky Winkles are sweet clumps of oats, wheat, and bran that stay crunchy even in milk. Pour some in your bowl. Walk away for an hour. Go for a smoke or take a bath. And when you come back, that bowl of Tinky Winkles will still be just as crunchy as when you first poured it out. It's guaranteed. Now, we know a lot of other cereals make the same claim, that they stay crunchy even in milk. Well, all them other cereals can go piss up a rope, pardon my French kids, because Tinky Winkles, and only Tinky Winkles, the magic breakfast treat, don't just claim it, they guarantee it. 
Pardon my French again, kids. And how, you may well ask, can Tinky Winkles make such a claim? Well, here's how. Tinky Winkles, the magic breakfast treat, stays crunchy in milk because they pack it in milk. That's right, kids. So look for Tinky Winkles, the magic breakfast treat, in the bright blue milk carton in your grocer's dairy case. Pour out a big heaping bowlful and you'll say... Hey, they do stay crunchy, even packed in milk. Ow, my teeth. Have you tried Tinky Winkles, the magic breakfast treat? Have you tried Tinky Winkles, their flavor can't be beat? It's oat, sweet, and bran in a clump that's new. The president eats them, and so should you. So try Tinky Winkles, the magic breakfast treat. The breakfast for all seasons. Welcome back to our story of the untamed frontier, the better man. When we left off, Chet Rand had just proved himself the better man against the French-Canadian prospector, Bully Lafitte. Mr. Oldtimer, can you tell us the rest of the story? Sure thing, daughter. Why, things got pretty hot up there for old Bully Lafitte, didn't they? And as far as I know, that Canuck never did show his face around that town again. Chet Rann explained soon enough why he wanted that dog so bad and why he refused to engage in gunplay. I had to bring this thing to a showdown, you see, because I surely did want this dog. I need him for a lead husky because I've decided that now that I'm physically on my feet again, I'm going to stick around this North Country and keep at this freight hauling game. Why, the place has gotten into my blood. It rightly has. And the people, too. You, Mrs. O'Brien, and Jim, and of course, Rue. Chet, mon cher, I am so happy to hear you say that. <laughs> That's fine, son. We'll be glad of it. To have you around. Oh, there must be something in me, I... <clears throat> and, well, I didn't like to speak of it before, but... I feel I owe it to you now, to let you know why I've been so against using a gun. I... I took a year off from college back in 1917, and I got into the dust-up over across the water. I saw so much killing and so much blood that I told myself I wouldn't be responsible for any more bloodshed unless I was forced into it by another war. I... I guess this old rawhide's good enough for me. Good enough is right, Chet. Good enough is right. <laughs> well, daughter, my bottle's empty and my story's all told. So I reckon I'll be hitting the trail. Well, thank you, Mr. Oldtimer, for coming to visit us and for such an exciting story of the untamed frontier. 
Will you come back and see us again sometime? Well, I reckon I might could. Just as long as I got something nice to sip at, like today. Well, so long, daughter. Gotta be pushing on. Can't stand to be in one place too long. Thanks, and so long, Mr. Oldtimer. You have been listening to The Better Man, the seventh program of the Potpourri Theater series, starring the Narada Radio Company. Featured in the cast were, in order of appearance, Gene Giggy as the old-timer, Matthew Willoughby as Chet Rand, Derek Lutz as Georges Bully Lafitte, Kevin Schuster, Michelle Cotter, Teddy Giggy, and Skeeter Ullman as Townsfolk, Jerry Eliff as Square Deal O'Brien, Catherine Crawford as Rue Regret, Juan Perez as The Prospector, Dana Gonzalez as Half-Breed Jean, and Micah Blaine as Jim the Trapper. Your announcer was Lisa Ayala. The Better Man was originally published as a short story by Harold DiPolo and appeared in the July 1932 issue of Thrilling Adventures magazine. It was adapted by Pete Lutz, who also directed and produced this program. Tune in again next time for another thrilling episode of Pulp Re-Theater. Additional voices provided by Derek Lutz as Seamus McWinkle, Catherine Crawford as Renzi Korsetsov, Darren McCormick-Rockhold as the Zip Doodah announcer, Kian Lutz as the Tinky Winkles Kid, and Phil Boyd Studge as himself. Be sure to tune in next time when Pulpery Theater presents a tale of the jungle called Tame Me This Beast. The preceding production was sourced from materials in the public domain except where indicated. The audio play script and the production itself are original works and are the property of their creators and thus protected by copyright. This production was pre-recorded and mixed at 63 Audio, Corpus Christi, Texas. Remember, Pulp Puri Theater is your source for the best in audio drama. This has been a 63 Audio production. Sixty-three audio. This portion of the Mutual Audio Network is brought to you by Freddie Finkel's Fine Friday Fish Fry. When you're famished and fading, Freddie Finkel fries fresh fish and festoons their fins with flavored flotsam. Then friendly folks fling this fish at your face. So flail your fork fastidiously to feast on this famous fine-filling favorite. Gotcha. Remember, every day is Friday at Freddy Finkel's Fine Friday Fish Fry. Come on in, just for the halibut. Your day just got a whole lot better. You're listening to the Mutual Audio Drama Network.